Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back. Well, back in May, we saw Sheffield Wednesday provide us with a fairy tale ending to their season, beating Barnsley at Wembley to earn promotion to the championship. But the man who led that charge, Darren Moore, is no longer in charge. Only three weeks later, he and the club parted ways by what was said to be mutual consent, uh, shocking the fans, shocking the players. The club chairman said it was the right time for him to leave the club. But since then, he's pointed to them not seeing maybe eye to eye on his contract, his salary demands. Um, either way, it, it came as a shock. But they had 96 points on the season. They had that remarkable comeback against Peterborough in the semifinal. That was record-breaking, when he, was it not? Record-breaking. When, yeah. he, when he started the job with the club at Sheffield Wednesday in 2021, they were at the bottom of, of the table. So he, this is a guy who clearly did well with the club. He got results. And yet... He's out of the job. And Nigel, I know that you have said that you think that there is probably uh, more to the story, more going on there. <laughs> and when you look at when you look at the the number of black coaches, specifically in England and the Premier League, leaves a lot to be desired. What's your take oh. on all of this? What do you think actually well, no, is going on I'll here? Parted ways, no, no. Mutual, mutual consent. Mutual, yeah, no. Mutual consent, Darren, Nigel. The doors that way, yeah, you got to go. So I, I just think he he was Oof. forced out, and I know Darren um, really well. I worked with him, had the pleasure of working with him, played against him as well. One of the nicest human beings ever. Just wants to do well, and it's not the first time. Because let's be, Darren Moore was in charge at West Bromwich Albion when they were, I believe, third in the championship, only maybe six points or so off the top, and they sacked him for no reason, and he left West Brom as well. So it's not the first time he's been in this situation. He is a great manager, a great soul and human being. And for me, as a black player, an ex-player playing in England, I'm not surprised. Like, we, the sad thing is we're getting used to this. And speaking to some of my old colleagues and people who work in media and young players who are trying to do coaching and management, we actually said to each other, what chance have we got if they're sacking Darren Moore? And mm. Darren Moore is a nice guy. Like, really nice guy. So if they're sacking Darren Moore, or parting ways, sorry, what chance have we got? Because we have no chance if that's what's happening to him. And it's just, for me, it's just not enough. It really is. We've been saying the same things for so long, but the PFA, mm -hmm. the Football Union in England for the players, have said that managers with qualifications is not a problem. That's not an issue. They know all the black managers and coaches of ethnic minorities who have the qualifications. The UEFA A licence, the UEFA A Pro, there's so many well-qualified. Getting the opportunity is the, pro, is, is, is the problem. You have one black owner of a club in England, and it's uh, Ben Robinson, who owns Bertie and Albion. His daughter is a chief executive at Wrexham, owned by, obviously, Ryan Reynolds. She's the only black female chief executive in the whole football league. And then you also got one member of a board at Brentford, uh, Deji Davis. He's the only black member of a board in a non-executive kind of role, also has uh, some roles with the Football Association. 
but it's just not enough. You know, people are hiring people they're more comfortable with. There isn't enough representation in these other levels. And, you know, when you speak to some directors and you get to meet some of these chief executives and stuff like that, you just don't see real change. You don't see it's 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 a system that's been in place for so long. And for us, the sad, it's sad for me to say it, but there is conversations that we have with top quality players, legends in the Premier League. And we have these conversations. It's what chance do we have? What's the point of pursuing it? Because and, we don't get an opportunity. And now we transition to, to North America, Major League Soccer, right? So you have two black coaches, Wilfred Nancy at the Columbus Crew, who has proven his value, his worth. And look where he started. He, came, he moved to Montreal and coached kids and worked his way up. A lot of players, former players who are black, have to start with, with the youngest in the academy and work your way up. It's not you retire and you get an assistant coaching job with the first team or even the, the, the running the reserves te team in MLS Next Pro. You have to start at the bottom of the totem pole. And I, I watch so many players struggle to, to think about what comes next because they know if it is coaching, that you have to do the impossible to be even considered for a head coaching role. And even so, if you do go and take that interview, a lot of times it, it's just for optics. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've been in a position where I interviewed for a technical director role. The job was already given to, a, to the, the eventual technical director. It was already given. Mm -hmm. It was a, and you were a box that had to be checked. I was a box that had to be checked. And on top of that. When did you find that out? After the fact or before? After the fact. That's so, I, so I, I, I reached out to everyone I respected and knew who, who have been holding these roles, sporting director, technical directors, head coaches. What do I need to, to know to be successful in this job? You have all the intangibles, right? You, your playing career speaks for itself, but building relationships is a big part of this job. You need to know who to connect with, how to find players, how to manage relationships. That's a big, big part of, of being successful in a lot of these roles. Who do you know? Well, if you have all those, all the other things you can learn. It doesn't, that's where you get your experience is what you've already done and the people you know. You, you have those things that you can't teach. Mm -hmm. The other things you can teach, but you've got to get the opportunity. So I came into this job interview and I felt I, I know everything I need to know to, to, to hit the ground running and be the best technical director I can be knowing that the long-term plan is I'm a club president or I'm a, a sporting director, right? I, these are the opportunities that are in front of you. But knowing that I put everything into it just for a fake job opportunity, it, 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 it was demoralizing. It, and that was one of those moments where I looked myself in the mirror and said, if this is how it's going to be, then is this the right path for me? Yeah. Do you and, know what? I, 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 and I, I thought to myself, how many players go through this same oh. instance of, of, of being brought, around, brought along to, to say, oh, you, you know, we're actually considering you when you have no chance. And after the fact, when I found out that the job was already given away, a, a player on the team contacted me and said, hey, just so you know, they told us in training the technical director <sighs> has been hired. This is before the club president reached out to me to tell me this. Okay, so the club president calls me and says, this job interview for you was for experience. 
Yeah. So that in the future, you know what is needed wow. to get this job. And I think you'd be a fantastic technical director, so you need to go out and get that experience. So I think maybe you should become a, an agent. Become an agent to get that. That's what Charlie, I was told. Let me just jump on that, right? Because Charlie's 100% right. This is what we have to deal with. And the sad thing is, it's becoming a bit of an acceptance, a sad acceptance for young black coaches and people who play the game. Because for us, it's, oh, but you don't have no experience. But we see many white colleagues or players we played with who have no experience <laughs> and they're allowed to learn on the job. Ushered right up to you, the front of the line. I'll give yeah. you an example. Gary O'Neill. Played against Gary O'Neill many years. Played with him in England under-21s level. He kind of stopped playing, was humming and hiring what to do. Went and got his qualifications. From getting his qualifications because of connections again, went straight to Liverpool. Was managing, uh, was a first team coach at Liverpool under 23s. From Liverpool under 23s, goes straight to Bournemouth with Scotty Parker. Scott Parker gets sacked. Gary O'Neill, Bournemouth manager. Like those opportunities don't happen for black players. And then my thing is when we talk amongst ourselves, it's all right, you look at some of the white players we played with, we went to war with them on the pitch. They get these opportunities. Not many of them bring black players as their assistants or yeah. coaches. The only one who's I've done that I'll give him credit to is Frank Lampard. He's brought Ashley Cole on. But there's so many other players who are legends in the game that have gone in these opportunities, but they're not bringing some of their black colleagues that they went to war with. And again, it's the whole comfort level of being comfortable with someone that looks like them, someone that comes from the same ethnicity background as them that they're comfortable with. That plays a big part. Like being in that dressing Representation room. is massive. What's ironic is, you're seeing these, these rosters be so much more diverse than they were in the past. Yep. And if you have a coach who can communicate with these players, sure. knowing what they had to deal with and what they had to come through to be at this level, it would be that much easier Let to me. manage players because you can reach them. You know, that, you know what they went through. And I look at some of the players who are assistant managers now. Shari Joseph had to start with the U14 or 15s with the Rebs initially. Worked his way up, now Bruce Arena took him in. Ricardo Clark, assistant, I played with him on the pitch. Play, played in MLS for a lot of years, he's at Vancouver. Uh, pa Muruka, another player, uh, uh, former player. A lot of experience, great at connecting. Uh, uh, anyone speaks, who comes speaks up, seven languages. Anyone yeah. who comes around Pa says, what an incredible person, yeah. right? Can connect with you. Tyrone Marshall, Ashley Cole, Jermaine Jones, Thierry Henry, another one. This is a world superstar where every kid looked up to him. And he has to struggle just to get an interview. Yeah. How is that possible? I will say, I looked this up. Patrick Vieira, when he was still at Crystal Palace, of how many teams did you say they were professionally? 92 in England? 92 professional clubs. 92 professional clubs. 4.4% of all coaching positions were filled by black people. 4.4 And think about the numbers of, of coaches. That's what I'm saying, yeah. 92 professional teams. I want to ask you, because I think representation is extremely important. When you were coming up, did you think you would even be a coach? Were there any black coaches that you could talk to that would tell you what that lineup was? None. No. None. No. And this is, let me just add this quickly before we move on. And this is the thing about the demographic of the dressing room things that go on. I've always been known as a big personality, as you used to make fun of the, the daddy of the dressing room, right? right? If I went into training, and I wasn't vocal and I just wanted to go in, so I'm gonna be quiet and do my job. Coaches be like, what's wrong with Nigel? What's wrong with Nigel? Because they're so, I'm telling you a true story. Coaches be like, what's wrong with Nigel? I had one manager who wouldn't come up to me and would send one of our black fitness coaches we had at the time, who was rare, to ask me what's wrong with me. So what's wrong with you? I said, Gaff wants to know. He's the manager, he can come and talk to me, I'm his captain, but he doesn't want to talk to me. But that goes to show how uncomfortable that they are. Yeah. He didn't come and talk, talk to me to ask me what was wrong. He sent the black coach to come and talk to me. And I'm like, I just want to go in, do my job, be quiet, and then go home. No, no, but you're not yourself. And I've had it before 
when it goes to players as well. Like white players are like, Nice, what's wrong? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm having a quiet moment. When you have a quiet moment, it's okay. But when I have a quiet moment, it's it makes them right. uncomfortable. It perceives like I'm angry and I'm, like, I'm not. And that goes to this fact of when you play and coming through as a black player, the amount of young black players that haven't made it because a white coach goes, ah, oh, he's got an attitude problem. When it's not an attitude problem, it's society and other things that he has well, to deal you, with you, you that you're about? not used to seeing or speaking to. Because again, you don't communicate to this young kid to know what he's going through from where he comes mm -hmm. from, for his family environment. So that kid's career is destroyed because once he says he's got an attitude problem, all the white coaches say the same thing. Yeah. And you, he doesn't you even get talked about it with, with players who are, are perceived to be doing something negative. Paul Pogba, yep. uh, Marcus Rashford, Oh, the James dancing. Sancho. I mean, Graham Sooners always like, bring him up. Sterling buys a house. Oh, look how big time he is. Oh, about Phil Foden buys the same house. Oh, he's taking care of his mother and his family. Like, these are things that we're used to. We're it's not an naive. embarrassment. The we lens see it. That in which these players and coaches are, are viewed through is completely different uh, than anyone else. And I have to imagine, too, the amount of pressure that these guys feel. If they're given an opportunity, if you are one you of have the to be a model citizen. You can't, God forbid, even you can't make a yeah. one single mistake, and especially in a results-driven business that we see, how much pressure is the, that? The pressure is re relentless. They also, the dynamic is you, you're going into a dressing room where most of these players now, they're used to playing with black players. They're not used to having a black manager, a black person in power of, a power of position. I've seen it, like we said about Darren Moore. When he was in charge at West Brom, there was a certain player who was going to get a move. So now I'm sitting now for the first time seeing a black manager in the position of power. The dynamic in the, in the dressing room completely changes. And I'm looking at Darren, and Darren knows he's under pressure. If one of these white senior players wants to go rogue and turn that dressing room, it turns just like that. Because they're not used to seeing a black manager in the power, he gets one or two bad results. That whole dressing room mentality has changed because of white players not being used to having a black manager and not comfortable to it. One of the players, the player I'm talking about in particular, I'm not going to say his name, he nearly got into a fight with one of the young goalkeepers because he wasn't training properly because he wanted to move at that time for that club. And I could see him being a problem. And at the time, I wasn't signed. If I was signed, I would have put him right in the air. I wanted to two-foot him so much because he didn't want that smoke. But I know the problem that he can cause for such a good man mm. who just wants to do the job, knows the game. Let's yeah. not just say about talking opportunity. These are players who've done the qualifications, who deserve done the it. hard who, who earned it. deserve yes. this opportunity. This isn't we want a handout. This is no, we are qualified. They're qualified. Give yeah. us the opportunity. We're not begging yeah. just for, oh, just put us up there for the sake of it. No, we know the game. We've played it. We know how to articulate ourselves. We know how to communicate, get message across. Well, no sporting directors that are black. Yeah. I, know. I know we have to go to break. Scoring directors. But uh, you're from Croydon. Uh, Stormzy and uh, Wilfred Zaha owning a team in Croydon where you're from. That's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It really is a big deal. And it's, it's, again, it's another step forward. But it's just the whole dynamic needs to change in the it world. It yeah. needs to reflect the diversity you see on the pitch. We could spend several shows diving yeah. into all the ways that this needs to improve. I uh, appreciate you guys that conversation. All right, guys, um, we're going to take a break, but lots more to come on Morning Footy when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Um, we're talking strikers on the move when we come back. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, there are plenty of big-name strikers who could potentially be on the move. Uh, the transfer window is open, so we're going to discuss some of the potential landing spots for the big names that we could be seeing. Let's start with Harry Kane. 
okay? Because we've heard all the, the Bayern Munich rumors. His contract expires at the end of the 2024 season with Tottenham. The question is, does he say? Will Daniel Levy get enough money to feel the need that, yes, he can he can let him go. Bayern Munich has been courting him. What do we think Harry Kane is going to do in this situation? Because some people think that, you know, he's close to these, these becoming the, the highest goal scorer in Premier League history. There's some records, but does that trump the trophies? Alan Shearer said he'd drive him to Bayern. <laughs> he did so say that. So what, what makes sense here? Apparently they're looking for something in the 100 to $117 million or million euro range for Harry Kane. And it's crazy because he has one year left. One year left. You yes. can wait six months to sign him for free. But I think if you're a lifelong legend for the club, you also want them to to profit off of, of you leaving the club. No, I, I he gave him no, the six year. No. He, gave, he signed a six year deal. No. he don't got to do anything else. Care. No, I, th I, I, I think he does want to give a little bit no. to to Tottenham. If he no. does, it's only to save face with the fans. No. But I feel like he's done enough. No, Harry Kane is laughing. He's in the win 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 situation right now because the biggest problem at Tottenham, the people have said, has always been Daniel Levy and how the club is run. You've had managers who've been successful, won in other leagues. Go there, and there's always a problem at Tottenham. It's the culture of Tottenham. Harry Kane is highest goal scorer for the club, legend of the club. Mm -hmm. He has nothing to lose. He could sit there comfortably, and like we just said, it's the same thing of Mbappe. One year left. Who's going to pay 100 and something million for Harry Kane as good as he is with one year left on his no, contract when be, he can sit there for six months? Foolish. He could score more goals in the Premier League. That is the one thing I would say would want to keep him in England. He would want to be the Premier League's all-time Highest score. Which will Daniel Levy sell him oh, no. to anyone? Daniel Levy. The, the longer he stays, the more likely Daniel Levy will get pretty much nothing for him. Not pretty Harry much. Kane, he'll get nothing. That's what I'm saying. Harry Kane is winning right now. You could just sit there. You're a Tottenham legend. The fans love you. The fan won't turn against. The fans will not turn against him. If he signs for and, United, will the fans turn against him? Or I don't Chelsea. think they'll be grudging. Or Chelsea. No, I don't think. I don't think Tottenham fans Rival. will be grudging Tom, leaving for anyone. Only if he signs Tom for Holland, Arsenal. Tom Holland, who is a die, <laughs> we saw the video of Tom Holland, who was the diehard uh, Tottenham. Supporter, he's saying, going through he, something. He, he was like, he was like, go, I'll go, Harry. That's what I'm saying. The, the fans love him. Like Harry, they Kane want, they want good things fine. for Harry. They want him to to win trophies. From 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 a completely from a football perspective, though, is Bayern a good fit for him? Oh yeah, yes. He's, yes. it's the perfect fit. anywhere. He's is a great fit. For he, him. He's class. He'll, he's a goal scorer. He, he's an he's all around just a, a top player in terms of his, his movement, his finishing, his passing, his, his vision, his hold-up play. He can do everything. He's a complete striker. Yes. So if you look at, at teams that need a, a complete striker, there's a, the long list. Yeah. He could go to Madrid. He could fit in right at Real Madrid. Mm -hmm. AC Milan, Inter Milan, Bayern Munich, Chelsea. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you think it's whoever, Newcastle. <laughs> United. United. He, he United. could play anywhere. Would he, he stay in the Prem? He Would he go I, to another team in the listen, Premier League? I personally feel he wants to stay in England. English players also don't to, like moving. No, they they don't, I'm not disrespecting. Not, they don't no, like not, moving. You're 100% right. Yeah. They don't like moving. I think he wants to get that Premier League goal-scoring record. That's what I feel. And then you look at the... Let's be real now. Money's not a problem in the Premier League. Mason Mount's on 300 and something thousand a week. And then again, like you said, six months he can sign forever he wants for free. Mm -hmm. So how do we know he's not already having conversations with the likes of a Manchester United or someone behind closed doors? Because these things do go on. Where's, do get hey, Poch, Where's he going to get the uh, longevity? Because he year. wants to start at the next World Cup for, for England. Where's he going to get the longevity? He'll start if he's not playing. Come on, let's be real. We've seen some players not playing 
I health get wise. in that England. I'm sport. saying health wise. Real Madrid, mm -hmm. a lot of old players, and they seem to stay healthy there. So seems like the perfect place for me if I'm him. Spread goes to play. Jude no Bellingham. burritos in Madrid. Hmm? No burritos watch. in Madrid. <laughs> yeah, it's a real shame. On. Um, all right, guys, we have to take another break. At Gianluca Busio joins Morning Footy when we come back. Scored his first international goal against Trinidad and Tobago. We'll talk to him about that. Welcome back. Well, the U.S. is moving on to the quarterfinals in the Gold Cup. A match against Canada awaits them on July 9th. And right now, we are delighted to bring in a guy who has had a fantastic showing at this tournament. A goal and two assists. We are bringing in midfielder for the U.S. men's national team and Venezia, Gianluca Busio. Gianluca, how are you? Welcome to Morning Footy. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Okay, take us back to that goal against Trinidad and Tobago because this was your first international goal and it just happened to be in your home state of North Carolina. I saw the pictures of your family at the match. What was that moment like? Yeah, obviously it was a, it was a special moment. I think before the game, it was kind of in the, in the back of my head. You know, I want to I give them something to, to celebrate and, you know, I started to get a little, a little late in the game. So I was kind of pushing forward a little bit and, you know, Gressel played a, a great ball back and, you know, I took a good first touch and, and all I had to do was pass it in. But, you know, as soon as I scored, I was thinking, you know, I'm so glad that one went in. You know, I had a couple other chances, but that one went in and, and it was kind of late in the game also. So it was kind of a, a big sigh of relief. But, you know, I'm looking back at it, it was a, a great moment. And to do it in front of my family and all, all the loved ones was, was, was so special for me and a moment I'm definitely never going to forget. Gianluca, we share something in common. I scored my first international goal against Trinidad and Tobago as well. Um, but I want you to take it a step further. What did this goal mean to you in terms of significance considering the ups and downs of your club career in, in Europe? How important was it for you to get going again and feel that confidence and, and love of the game? Yeah, I think you, I think you said it pretty much. It's, it's big for confidence. I think as a player, you know, confidence is, is one of the biggest things you can have as a player. If you're down on confidence, you know, people will see it. And, if, and it's kind of only up to you to decide that. And like you said, you know, club season wasn't great. So for me to, to get an opportunity to play in the Gold Cup, it was, you know, I was I was ready for it. And, you know, I did my work in the off season, But, you know, I was coming in, I would say, low on confidence, really. Then, you know, obviously the first couple games I, I got out there and, you know, thanks to BJ for, for giving me the chance. But, you know, I got out there and, and, you know, even the two assists, you know, slowly building confidence like that. And then the goal, it, it you know, kind of it kind of had that feeling of being back to my old self. And, you know, it, it was it was huge for my, my confidence. And I think, you know, when I have confidence, I can be, you know, as good as, as I want to be. Gianluca, I want to talk to you a little bit about B.J. Callahan as the coach. We've, we've asked the question of a couple of the players, but for someone like you, getting the opportunity to kind of get back into that national team picture, getting a chance to get a little bit of a reprieve from your European season, how, how influential has B.J. Callahan been into that building of confidence that we're now seeing on the pitch? Yeah, I think he's been, he's been great to, with all the players, really. I think he's, uh, he's just, you know, a great guy in general, and he gets, he gets the players going, you know. He knows how to motivate the guys and, and I think it shows where we're all here to, to play for him and, and you know he's the coach so everybody has respect for him even if it is you know early days as, a, as him being the head coach we all we all have major respect for him and I think that that shows and he also respects us and he trusts us so 
you know, he's been he's been good for me the the past, you know, I've been with him for only this camp, but you know, so far he's he's you know been excellent for me and and coaching me. I've been learning new things, but also like I said, I think confidence is big and you know, when your coach has confidence in you, it gives you confidence on the pitch. So for me, he's been been excellent with that and you know, I couldn't ask for more. John Luca, take us back to your younger days. Who would you say were your inspirations for the love of the game of football? Who inspired you as a player that you wanted to mould your game around? Uh, I think I grew up watching a lot of uh, Serie A, so you know, Pirlo was one of the main ones for me. I think uh, you know he was just he was kind of the the face of, of Serie A when I was when I was growing up and watching with my dad, and you know we'd always watch him and. You know, like I think I've always said it before, just the the calmness in his game, and you know how he how he just moved and and controlled the game with you know not being the the biggest guy, or the most physical guy was just you know so impressive to me, and you know it was just kind of the the vibe he gave off from the game and how he controlled it with you know from from different roles and just you know playing kind of at his own tempo. That that for me was was special, and you know now I'm I'm, I'm trying to to do. Do it in his style, but also, you know, add my own little little flavor to it. Since, since you've been over in Italy, where has your game improved the most? And where, where do you think you still need to, to, to improve and, and, and make some tweaks to, to adjust your game? But I can tell just from the way that you, you, you're moving with the U.S. Masasha team, you got your groove back. You're feeling it. Yeah, yeah, I, that is definitely trying the the goal and a, and a couple of assists help. But you know, I think in in Italy you you learn so much about you know playing as a team and doing your part for the for the team. You know, it's not about individual success. It's can you help the team? And you know, like I feel like a lot of people always say that Italy is is very big on tactics and everything. And I think that's that's very true to me and a part of that. So I've kind of learned about you know a different side of the game really a kind of the the tactical side how to break down an opponent you know kind of reading the film before the game and all that and it, it's helped me a lot as a as a player knowing you know what what you can exploit and everything so you know for me i, I kind of take that into wherever i go you know even with national team you know you look at you study the opponent before the game and you know see what you know what gaps could be open stuff like that and and for me that's that's improved a lot with me and, and you know i take more more pride in, in, you know, really studying the game before we play in it. Let's talk a little bit more about experience in Italy. And mostly, I want to talk about your fits, my guy. Uh, you know, you're out in Italy. Uh, you're a stepper on the team. You know, we see it. Uh, we saw the photo shoot you did with Loficia. Come on now. Uh, what are some of the brands that you're bringing to some of the other guys? Like, oh, you all know about this yet? You ain't got this uh, yet? Oh, yeah, right there on the couch. Is that, a Drake, is that a Drake pose? Was that? Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, he gets emo sometimes. Gianluca, Drake a little something for the ladies. Uh, Gianluca, talk Talk to me about some of the brands that you're seeing out there in Venezia that you think are going to be the next big thing. That's tough. The next, the next big thing. I kind of, I kind of wear what's. Uh, I don't want to be a you know a trend. You know, hop, hop on all the trends, but I kind of wear what's what's popular. <laughs> I try to find the hidden gems and all the the popular stuff. But I don't know. I'm a big. Whatever. I kind of just go in everywhere and you know find stuff I like. I don't think there's one brand. It's especially I would, I would wear the most. It's kind of a, a broad range or it's kind of tough to put a, put my finger on one exact brand. I like that. No free <laughs> promos here, right? This guy's like, okay. whoever sends me a <laughs> check. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You said, don't chase, send me a check. Yeah. I'm played. John Luca, where, where do you see yourself? Where would you like to see yourself in the next, let's say three, four years? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's obviously I have, I have goals and, you know, obviously I think for national team, it's to continue to be in the picture. Obviously we have a, a lot of big uh, tournaments coming up, Copa America, the Olympics for me, especially. And so for me, those are the, what I have my mindset on for the, for the national team. And I think, you know, that's always what a, a I want to be a part of. And, you know, it's easy to kind of set those goals knowing that those are, are coming up. So I think those two for sure are the, the, the biggest ones for me right now. And then, you know, obviously with the club situation, it can, it can go any way. I think I'm at, I'm at Venice right now and I'm happy there. And, you know, I'm going to try to try to get back on track over there and then, and hopefully if I play well, then, you know, hopefully we either go back to Serie A or, you know, I continue that way. But I think it's 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 up in the air and, you know, I don't really want to say anything yet. I just kind of want to prove myself at a, at Venice first and then hopefully we can see what happens uh, after that. Gianluca, uh, we are so proud of you. Keep doing your thing. Best of luck against Canada. We appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, we are going to take a break. Jenny Chu will be back with some headlines when we return. I'm Jenny Chu, and Morning Footy is almost done, but we do have one more set of headlines for you. We start in England, where Manchester United has locked in on their next transfer target after completing their Mason Mount transfer. According to multiple reports, Inter Milan goalkeeper Andre Onana is being pursued as the replacement for David De Gea, whose future at Old Trafford is in doubt after talks on a new contract fell apart when De Gea's deal expired at the end of the season. United has reportedly opened with a $49 million offer for Onana, but reports also have Eric Ten Hag's team meeting with De Gea in the coming days to try and re-sign the Spanish goalkeeper. Christian Pulisic and his expected departure from the Blues is a step closer to reality. According to multiple reports, AC Milan has increased its offer for the U.S. men's national team star to $22 million, closer to the $27 million Chelsea is reportedly seeking. The Women's World Cup is 14 days away. Guys, you heard me, 14 days, and another team fighting for better treatment has seen their efforts rewarded. The South African women's national team recently sat out a scheduled match in a pay dispute and threatened to boycott the World Cup. But now their demands for a pay increase have been heard. African soccer president and billionaire businessman Patrice Motsepe has stepped in and made a $320,000 donation to be shared among the 23 players on the South African squad to ensure that they go to the World Cup. Susanna, is this what we've come to, where everyone in the women's game has to make drastic demands and stay, not play, basically, mm -hmm. um, to get what they need? It seems like it. It really does seem like it. Um, and, but the thing is, is that when that happens, people... It does seem like people actually do listen. And I, I, I look to the, the U.S. women and, and their fight for, for equal pay, and they have kind of set the bar for, I think, exactly, yeah. 100%. And so you see what they have been able to accomplish. Mind you, it has taken a while to get to that point, but it can be done. So I applaud, I applaud these women for, for standing up for what is rightfully theirs and yeah. what they deserve. Sponsors, step up. Step up. Please. Step up. These women deserve deserve that money. We um, love this movement. Let's Everyone go. doing yep. it. All together, right. Together. Jenny, thank you so much. Um, let's take a look at uh, the footy fix for Thursday. Before we leave, we've got a lot of Argentina action. Arsenal, Sarandi, Defensa y Justicia. You can watch all these matches on Paramount+. Plus. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Let's do it again. Mañana. Love you guys. Pulisic. Hey. <laughs>